Welcome back, listeners. Another smashing episode of Ag Watchers. Uh, we've got a special guest all the way from WA that we'll get to in a second. I'll do a quick intro to him first. So, Andrew, just doing my best at covering off on this guy because he does wear quite a few hats. Um, predominantly, he's a, he's a West Australian uh, farmer in the Corrigan region. Um, and, but he also is a director of the – well, he's kind of my boss, Andrew, to a degree, isn't he? Really? I, 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 I was going to say, I feel like I'm in hallowed ground here. You know, I've, I've got two of the, the industry's livestock leaders – well, uh, I'm, I'm only a livestock leader, but this fella is actually one of the founders he's, of he's, the Livestock Collective. He's the heffy of the Livestock Leaders, you know? Uh, he's, of, he's, the bo- he's the boss of bosses. Correct. The capo de tutti capi, as they say in the mafia, the, head the, of all heads. A heffy de heffy, because, <laughs> because I've been watching Narcos and learning Spanish. So, <laughs> so and he also he, look, he does some other things as well. We're going to get on to uh, in relation to he's been kind of um, seconded across to a to a panel for for the wool sector via AWI. But it's Stephen Bolt, the guy I'm talking about. One more thing he does do as well that you might not know. He's a supermodel of sorts. He's um he's been in a few glossy brochures that we produced um in a different life when we were working for somewhere else. We did a few glossy brochures for the livestock sector and. And Stephen Bolt's uh, face was on the picture of all of those. And I think some, some of your family as well, Stephen. Welcome to the Ag Watchers. Um, yeah. That, that was a pretty, yeah. Thanks, that was a pretty Matt. poor, that's all right, poor effort by me um, at describing you. But you might want to give us a quick rundown of, of actually what you do there on farm and some of the, some of the things you do off farm as well. Yeah. Nah, thanks, Matt. And thanks, Andrew, for having me along today. Um, yeah, I suppose uh, so. Myself, I've, I'm third generation uh, as a sheep producer. Um, we run a mixed cropping enterprise here in Courage in Western Australia. Uh, the merino sheep enterprise, or the merino sheep industry, has always been a passion of mine ever since I, uh, you know, first, you know, was old enough to be out on the farm. You know, always had a love for the sheep industry. So. Um, right through, we've always, you know, exhibited sheep. So for me, uh, being able to take my sheep out and, and form a connection with people um, from the city or from places where they don't get to experience um, seeing livestock has always been an interest of mine. Uh, I've been a, I started as shearer when I was uh, 14 years of age on a learner stand and worked my way up to I was shearing in teams um, in my you know, late teens, early 20s, uh, before I returned back to the farm full time. So, yeah, a bit of a, uh, I suppose, a snapshot of, of me is is predominantly, you know, merino sheep in, enterprise um, and a real passion for the industry. Uh, cool. Cool, cool. We, we, I've, I've met you a few times, Stephen Fink, actually. I think I might have met you in WA a few times at maybe one of the BOF conferences. Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, I, I know we definitely caught up uh, Darren Machinery Field Day. So. Yep, yep, that's right. Yeah, that would have been. Was it last year? No, it wasn't, uh, last, it wasn't last year because we weren't allowed to leave the, the state. So it must have been a year before. Or yeah, even, even a year so. before that. So, so one of the things, Steve, we haven't told you this, but we are going to try something new today. We're, we're, we, we after after this, we we spoke to Tim Neal last week. He's an ag tech innovator. And uh, oh, he doesn't like to call himself that. And we thought, you know, we're trying to we're trying to make an IPO and we, we're an initial public offering of Ag Watchers on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, so so we're, we're trying to, you know, add as many innovations and whatnot. And and so we we've we're currently using uh, degenerative agriculture. 
uh, we're using lack of artificial intelligence uh, and and we're using blockchain. But lack one of, of the any, things, lack of any intelligence, I mean, you lack of any intelligence. <laughs> yeah, what, 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 what Matt and I have been looking at, Matt and I are, are students of the mind. And, and, and one of the things that we were thinking of doing is, and we think the new buzzword is going to be, you know, behavioralism and psychology. So, so, so we've done a lot of research. You know, we, we've picked up a couple of pop psychology books. So, so, so we're going to start what we call the six for six cents. So, so this you, you, sounds, you're, sounds complex. No, this, it's, this, very, this, it's very simple. It's very simple. <laughs> word association. Word association. Game we're going to play. <laughs> To just get a quick a quick understanding, of, like you, I've given my best rundown of who I think you are, which was a pretty average effort on my behalf. You've given a good rundown of who you are, but now we're just going to play this little quick game uh, to to just get a get a bit more insight as to who you before, are. Before we get into the conversation, so we're, we're going to say a word or a phrase, and you have to give us a one word answer. First thing that comes to your mind that about that mind. phrase. So, so okay. as as you're the first one to do this, we're gonna keep we're gonna take it easy. So, Matt, you 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 go you go you go first. Yeah. So so basically, I'll say the first thing comes to your mind. So, so I'll start with um, COVID. Whoa, fail, challenging. fail, fa- fail, fail, mate, mate. You've got to answer quicker than that. Like, don't challenging. think. <laughs> right. Challenging. challenging. We'll, we'll we'll give that one as a, as a as a as a first a first try. But it's got to be sharp, you know. I mean, right. You know, yeah. you can't think because we're, we're we're trying to get an insight into your mind here. Challenging, Andrew. <laughs> Live export. Feeding the world. One word answer. I will yeah. give you. That's we'll, right. You can get no phrase is good, so that's good. Feeding the world. Good answer. McTiernan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, look, very, um, very driven. All right, that'll, um, that'll do. That'll do. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. You don't, don't overcomplicate it, Steve. I don't want to upset anyone as I do it, well, but yeah. No, no, we, we do enough of that for everyone. That's three, we're, we're three down and you haven't, you haven't hung up the line yet, so we'll, we'll keep going for the next three, Andrew. 2010. Oh, the worst year ever. Uh, Crocs. What was that? Sorry, Matt. Crocs. Oh, Northern Territory. <laughs> I was thinking of the Crocs that Andrew wears, but that's all right. <laughs> Black pudding. Oh, that is you, Andrew, to a T. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Animal, act- animal activist. Um. A challenge for me in the industry to engage with. There we go. There we yeah, go. Good, good so, job. You did a good job for someone that's um, we sprung it on at the last moment. Um, it wasn't as job. complex as I thought it was going to be, but no, yeah, no, no. It's, uh, it's a bit like us. Very simple. It's gave us an insight. So we, we'll, we'll 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 pass those answers off to our our, our team psychiatrist department, and, and we'll have a report written back to you and it may involve being sectioned you know but that's you know that's we can't that that is what it is but live export was one we actually um was one of our our word associations there steve but that's uh, you know a very important part 
of why we got you on here and, and not just what you do on farm, but um, the work you, you've done and, and continue to do as part of the Livestock Collective. Um, so we just, we just finished the moratorium phase as well. So we've just started to reopen again now. Um, I, I, did, I did a piece not long ago just looking at the flows out of WA uh, and how much more that it's pretty much been. I mean, it was always a WA-dominant industry, but I think the last three years now, something like 98% on average of all the flows have been going out of WA. Um, and it's, you know, even though that the, the volumes have gone down a little bit um, in terms of flows over the years, it's still, I think, accounting for something like 15 to 20% of turnoff in WA. So it's an important important part of the business. What um, what are you seeing there in terms of that moratorium? Is that, is that you know, I, my view is that it's creating still a lot of headache for the sector. Are you seeing, and the supply chain, how are you seeing it from your end there? Is it, is it an issue that is going too long? Could, could we be looking to change this at all? Or what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, you know, the live export industry is extremely important. Uh, not only to the WA sheep industry, but uh, to our uh, our partnership we've got with with Middle Eastern countries, predominantly um, where so many sheep go as their food security. Uh, so, look, live export moratorium period. Um, when I was part of the live export uh, reference group, or that the minister put together, um, we we actually asked that after twelve month month period that we could have a review of the moratorium period and I think you know over the last two years um, we've been able to show that with the reduced stocking densities on board uh, with with some of the measures that have been put in place the success of voyages at either end of the moratorium period so each side of it um, you know we've been able to do it really successfully so I actually feel it's definitely time to uh, for government to have a review of that moratorium period and uh, have a look if we can reduce it. Uh, certainly from a producer's point of view, at the front end in uh, May, um, it does does cause some challenges because, you know, generally in WA the season hasn't broken at that point. Uh, so we've got to make a decision whether to hold or sell sheep. Um, sometimes, you know, you get, a, get a, a tight start to the season and we've got nowhere to um, offload those sheep is my fear. You know, the last two years we've had reasonable starts in, in WA, but say a 2010 comes along again, which it will, um, we need somewhere that we can shift uh, those sheep, you know, a market for them. And, and that Middle East market is such a good, strong, reliable market for us. Do you think the last couple of years we've seen a big volume of sheep going west to east? Do you think that masks the impact of the moratorium? Uh, absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt that, that there's been a valve for, you know, for sheep to leave Western Australia. Um, look, last year, mid-year, was, it was quite tight for feed. So we were fortunate that we had an Eastern States market available uh, to, to send, turn off so many sheep. But, you know, as, as the numbers you know, get back to more stable level in the east, we will see again where um, on a on a tougher feed year in WA, we'll, you know, the abattoirs are at full capacity and we will get caught, uh, I think with moratorium period, we'll get caught with sheep that we cannot turn off out of the state of WA. 
And, and, and that's the thing, I guess, in, in the last couple of years, we've had that rebuild phase, last two years, probably even less than two, it's probably 18 months, isn't it, rebuild phase in the East Coast. It makes me sound like an expert. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the reality is, though, that we will have a dry point in the, at some point in the East Coast as well. And it could correspond for dry point in the West Coast. And the Middle East is the only option. But if you don't have that option for, was it five months of the year? I was sitting at three months, yeah. Three months. <clears throat> well, that was, the, that was the point I was going to make before you rudely interrupted me, Andrew. Well, I think, I think what I'm just showing here is that maybe, maybe, <laughs> Steve, you've got the wrong person as a livestock leader. <laughs> well, I was going to come in with some actual figures, though, to back up the point that you kind of stole. Well, well, well one, one, of, one of the things that you understand if you, if you listen to your livestock leaders training, Matthew, yeah, yeah. is that it's not, about, it's not just about figures. It's about the way those figures are sold. It's about the emotion. It's about the social license. It's the vibe. It's the it's vibe the vibe. of it. Yeah, but I mean, what you're saying too, like I mentioned before about those lower, we're seeing lower numbers annually anyway as, as a nature of the smaller flock and, and some of the um, restrictions around the sector, the live ex sector. But if you look at uh, last year, it was something like about 800,000 head of sheep that went out of the country. Um, but the ones that came across over, I think it was about a year's worth that they came across, but it was in between the two years, the last two years going from west to east was I think 1.9 million head was the the figure from kind of June to July of, of 2020 to 2020. Um, and that started to kind of ease back again now to normal levels. But, you know, you're talking double the amount that would normally have gone offshore as live eggs have gone across from, from the west to the east. So that's a big, that's a, that was a big support for West Australian farmers when, they were, you know, when, when particularly New South Wales were taking those sheep to rebuild. But like you say, Steve, that's not going to happen every year. And um, if you get a bit of a dry season and, and don't have the demand from the eastern seaboard uh, and it comes right in the middle of that moratorium period, you, you bug it out. Do you, know, do you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the barley issue with China. It's exactly the same, apart from it's mm. sheep, mm. in that we've, we've got no access to China, but we've got good prices because of other events which masks the impact of that on barley price. And we've been saying this for a long time that the barley price would be substantially higher if we had China. But those customers that we're sending to just now could quite easily flip if we have you know, a big corn crop, a big barley crop, lower demand, and then you start to get impacted. And then you know, it's not just the years that are good that mask it. You've got to be, have a plan for those years when things return to, you know, not as positive sort of environment. It's exactly the same. Yeah, look, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, as a, you know, barley is a big part of my um, business as well. Uh, it, there's no doubt that there is a masking effect at the moment um, with, with other countries in taking supply. And, and, you know, I suppose the difference between the sheep industry and, and the grain industry is, you know, with sheep, if we get a tough year and we don't have, access to offload to like the Middle East market, the, the welfare impact on, on farm, um, you know, will be significant because, you know, predominantly all the sheep in WA, May, June, July, there's all of the lambs coming down. So we're, you know, we need to be looking after our, our sheep that are lambing at that period. And if we've got excess weather sitting on farm, taking up feed resources um, when they could could have been sold off to a 
to a, a real positive market for, for us into the Middle East, um, yeah, there will be some challenges come. Steve, I'll just circle back upon a point you made regards the, the time outside the moratorium period um, when we're seeing, you know, flows happening of, of, of live X sheep. And you, you mentioned, and, you know, I guess mortality is a, a stat that gets looked at in terms of, you know, on-ship um, mortality. Um, it's, not, it's not the be-all and end-all of, of what is animal welfare, but it's a, good, it's a good objective stat to say, well, if our mortality is reducing, uh, that's a good sign that some of these practices that the industry's put in place in terms of, you know, increase in welfare standards over time has, you know, is having an impact on mortality as well. So you see it as a, as a kind of long-term trend. And, and I had a look at it um, since, since about 2019 when, when some of these practices came on board, the, the, the lower stock, uh, stocking rates and, and different management procedures on, on ship. We are seeing, obviously, there's that period of time when there's no sheep going, so we're not seeing any mortality there because there's no sheep going. But even outside of that, when we ha- are seeing um, the ships going, the mortality is significantly reduced to what it was, you know, pre twenty eighteen. No, it's you know, you're no, talking. It's, no, it's not, Matt. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. All right, the on ship mortality. The, the, the mortality rate of the sheep going to the Middle East is a hundred percent. Yeah. All you right. mean you mean the mortality rate on the ship? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so, so because all all of those sheep, all of those sheep, the mortality rate of every sheep on the planet is a hundred percent. <laughs> Eventually, like every, no. Thanks for thanks for drawing attention to that, Andrew. Um, but getting back to the the numbers, Steve. If you look at the average kind of annual mortality across the whole year, pre pre kind of the changes that were made to the to the to the um, to the transport in um, twenty eighteen, it was about a 0.8 mortality was the average, and it would fluctuate during the year from something like 0.5 to, to one <laughs> or one point two during that during that, you know, summer um, period when it was a bit riskier. Um, the, uh, the average now over the last three years um, has been 0.2. And so that's outside of that, that moratorium period. So we, we've actually kind of, you know, gone down to pretty much a quarter of what we were seeing before and, and getting closer to levels that actually replicate the types of mortality on shit that we're seeing in the live cattle space. Uh, where you know, you know, 99.2% of the animals are getting across there in good condition and uh, no, um, so is that is that showing um, that that moratorium period, if not, you know, can can be maybe gotten rid of totally and let the industry you know self manage, or is it at least a case that we can say maybe we can shorten that moratorium period to maybe one month? Um, you know, do you think there's there's an aspect of that argument there that's valid? Yeah, absolutely, there is. I think uh, you know, definitely putting it up, you know, having a review of that that period but i you know i think like last year the last ship that left was delayed due to the covid outbreak uh so it was into the june period that the uh, department gave a exemption for that that vessel to travel and you know we look at the success of that vessel um on arrival and and the sheep um as they were discharged you know i, I think clearly shows that at that reduced stocking density um traveling during that period is still safe to get those sheep across uh, to in market uh, into the Middle East. So, you know, for, for myself where I've, I've traveled up to the Middle East and I've been through, you know, the abattoirs, the feedlots um, and, and spoken to the people up there that are receiving the sheep, the, the time and effort they put in to make sure that from discharge 
those sheep are, are really well looked after, um, you know, like travelling, you know, during the coolest part of the day to get them in the feedlot settled in where they've got cooled water, uh, all of those sheep handled through the SCAS system. Uh, it is amazing the facilities that are up there and the quality, you know, rival any of the abattoirs within Australia. Um, you know, the one I saw in, in Q8 and travelled through, just absolutely first-class facilities that are up there. So, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that... Um, and it's not, I guess, from some of those facilities, the animals that are coming through from Australia, obviously, are following under that SK system, but any that are coming through those facilities from other countries that wouldn't have the guidelines that Australia places upon that supply chain are also getting treated in the same fashion, you know, that we've got... You know, it's, it's not just we're improving the welfare standards of all animals um, by being part of this uh, part of this, you know, global live export chain rather than, um, you know, the alternative where, where you've got some animals, you know, that are, that just, are going just, through the system. But just a quick one. Yeah. How like how much and I know the numbers numbers stack up to say, you know, we should at least review it. Hmm. But numbers stack up with a lot of different things. And it doesn't necessarily mean that anything will be done about it. How much do you think of it is the numbers versus the sort of emotive thing of it with the general population? Um, I think the general population, and, and you know, I see that as a role of, of the Livestock Collective, uh, you know, ourself and our team, we want to be out there talking to the public about, you know, live export, about uh, how we manage all of those livestock, the risk, uh, about the outcomes that we're getting when they arrive in market. So I think, you know, before we started, you know, the, there was a void of information. So the public were, you know, putting pressure on to end live export because, you know, they only saw one side of the story that was being put in the media. I think what we found now is the work we've done, we've been able to put the other side of the story there, exactly all the factual information about what happens, um, a lot of raw footage of from on-farm uh, through the sail yards, through the shipper shed, on the boat, live footage about what actually takes place um, for these animals and how they're cared for along all the way up and down the supply chain. So, Steve, I'll probably just play a bit of a devil's advocate one and, and this might wrap up our queries on LiveX and we'll move on to other stuff after this one. But I'm just thinking now that we're seeing um, in WA it's becoming, the LiveX game is pretty much becoming a, a purely WA focus in terms of the flows. Um, from a eastern states kind of producer perspective or some people involved in livestock in the eastern states, um, and a lot of their product obviously now going boxed and chilled and, and frozen stuff rather than live at all. Um, why should, you know, from your perspective, why should they be bothered about what's happening in the live export space and, and the fact that, you know, the WA live export sectors remains under pressure? You know, should, should producers and, and people in the supply chain on this side in livestock in the eastern states, should they be bothered by it? Why should they be concerned if it's not, if it's not part of their kind of enterprise? Yeah, look, I, I, that's a good question, Matt, because... You know, from an eastern state's point of view, you know, live export generally, you know, they don't see the effect um, because it, it doesn't actually happen predominantly out of most of the east coast. South Australia, Victoria, there was definitely some sheep going out. Um, but that has, you know, as you said, dropped off. Um, 
recently because I've been able to get the numbers out of Western Australia. But, um, you know, the sheep that are going in, they complement each other as, as far as the, the live sheep in market, as well as the chilled product that goes up there, um, which a lot of that is coming out of that eastern states, but also out of WA chilled products. So actually, you know, fill different markets um, within that Middle East um, space. So, you know, when I travel through the supermarkets up there, there's there's people that are, are selecting and wanting a chilled product, but there's also a percentage that also want that, that live fresh out of the wet market. So um, they complement each other. It's important for, for breeding numbers out of WA that we have uh, somewhere, because of our limited abattoir space in West Australia, that we have somewhere for, you know, maybe up to that million uh, weathers to be turned off through that Middle Eastern live export market. So uh, for WA sheep industry, it is it is extremely important that we continue to um, have the live export available to us and we continue to work to support that industry. Is there a, is there a reputational aspect there too? Because some, so like you said, some of these markets we've got, particularly in the Middle East, are taking both live product and, and, and boxed product. Um, is there a perception, and you have a bit to do with, with that, you know, you've been, you've been over there obviously and seen it on the ground, but you, I presume you, you, know, you, you know some of the, the uh, imports in those Middle Eastern countries that you've been in communications with. Um, do, they, you know, do they perceive the Australian sector, whether it's chilled or, or, or live or whatever, do they perceive it as, as that's Australia as one unit so that if one part of the, if one part of the kind of, um, place, marketplace here is, is, is being unreliable to a degree, does that kind of tarnish the, the box and shield side in those, in those kind of markets as well? Or, or, or do they understand they're kind of somewhat separate marketplaces in terms of supply? Oh, look, there's no doubt that they, the Australian sheep, um, they like the quality and the quantity of numbers that they, they can get out of Australia. But, yeah, there's no doubt that they see, they like, you know, access to both of those live and chilled products. So if if we were to, to take cut one of the, those products off from, from going there, you know, they will look to support um, other markets or other countries in, in receiving, you know, complementary live and chilled product. So, um, you know, I'll go back to your point earlier also where you talk about the impact we've had on worldwide um, standards and, you know, talking to people in the Middle East, the importers there, you know, the benefit they're seeing of, of how the sheep are arriving with a lower stocking density has changed their way that they go about it out of other countries. So now they are, are following a similar plan uh, for, for loading ships when they're coming, you know, from other cu- countries into that Middle East region now. Hmm. So, so, so we've talked about one reasonably controversial topic, but we thought we'd leave the most controversial topic to, to last. So, so what, you know, Matt and I have done a lot of work in the export phase over, over the years, and, and, and we get a lot of abuse and, and whatnot. But one of the other topics that you talk, if you talk about, you also get a lot of abuse, and that's anything to do with the wool industry. And, uh, you know, you're also, you're also the, 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 the chair of the, the wool poll levy review panel. I've probably got that. Woolpole panel, yes. Woolpole panel, yep. <clears throat> so what's happening there? Like, there's an there's a AWI election coming up, 
and then there's obviously the the, the opportunity for for farmers to vote on or what the the poll is how, how does that work uh yeah so i'm yeah chair of uh an independent panel so different industry organizations got to nominate um different different growers uh to be part of that panel so there's eight members on the panel uh our job was to put together all of the information so for the voter information memorandum which was sent out to every grower um throughout Australia that has paid over $100 wool tax in the last three years. And uh, so all of those growers have an opportunity to vote in the upcoming wool poll uh, voting, which closes on the 5th of November. So uh, we want growers to make an informed choice about what levy rate they want for their company. So there's five options on the table, uh, which are the zero, 1%, one and a half, two, and two and a half percent. So, what is that just now? Uh, so, at the moment, it's currently at one and a half percent. We've we've been there for the last three years. Um, there's also a a question, supplementary question that asks whether uh, growers would like the wool pole cycle to be three years as it currently is, or whether they'd like it extended to a five year period. So, you know, f- for myself and the panel, we've <coughs> met. A couple of times, um, we were fortunate enough that we could meet in person in Adelaide and Sydney. Um, but just to make sure that we put as much information together so growers can make an informed choice about what levy rate they choose. So is, does the panel have a recommendation as to what, you know, as, what the consensus is there is, is what they're kind of advocating for or, or is it just purely um, to get the information there and let the grower decide themselves? Yeah, so it, it's not our role at all to recommend a, a levy rate. So our role is 100% to just encourage growers to be involved in the process and vote and, and provide them with the information that we think, you know, all of us are growers. So thinking what information do we want to know about the company, where the money levy money has been spent um, so that they can make that choice uh, and then to answer any questions. So, you know, Unfortunately, due to COVID, we haven't, uh, particularly on the East Coast, uh, none of the panel members have been able to attend too many uh, face-to-face meetings or events for, you know, catching up with growers. But in Western Australia, myself and Michael Wright have been able to go to to a number of events. um, And and then growers have got the opportunity to come and talk to us about the process, about any of the information that's there. Um, But there has definitely been a really big campaign from from us and the panel uh, on social media uh, through digital forms just to let growers know about the upcoming vote that's uh, in place. So, so it, it, it effectively, it's for AWI spending. So yep. it was previously 2%, is that right? Yep. Uh, uh, 2% prior to the last wall poll, yeah. Then 1.5, and now obviously there's could be anything when it, when it, when it, when it comes up next month. What, what, if you, you obviously pay a GRDC levy, and you pay uh, uh, MLA levy and whatnot. Do do you get a vote on those ones? No. Look, this is that's one thing about Woolpole. It is one of the only industries. I think the dairy industry is yeah. the only other one where we do get an opportunity to vote for uh, a levy levy rate. GRDC and MLA. Yes, it's just we just pay our set rate, whatever 
it's determined by by industry and government or by MLA and government. Yeah, and it's a it's a majority that will carry it. I presume it's a just a straightforward you know counting system, not preferential system or anything like that. Nothing too complex. <laughs> no, nah, look, it is complex. It is a preferential voting system. So. Uh, you know, last wall poll it came down to preferences for the levy rate that um, was determined to be uh, the the most supported rate. The um, so um, is there is there a, a clear kind of you know um, I guess uh, you know line in the between people voting two and a half percent and people voting zero, or is it a bit more complex than that in terms of the the general kind of the general kind of feeling amongst amongst growers? Is there is there like a divisive line like some other processes that we see in, in the wool industry or, or, is, or is there a fair bit of, um, of cohesion in terms of what the majority think? Um, I, I suppose last time the, the vote was extremely close. So I suppose that shows, um, you know, between that those middle ground of levy rates, one half, two percent, um, showed how close it was when it came down to preferences. So, um, you know, growers will choose what they, they think is best in the best interest of their company. So, you know, AWI does so much work on behalf of, of growers, you know, with our marketing, uh, work with, you know, brand development, also all the on-farm work that, that goes on. So, you know, whether it's, you know, Lifetime U projects, shearer training, uh, there's the blowfly vaccine, AWI does a huge range of work, you know, with all our levy money that we put forward. Um, but, you know, growers want to make sure that that spend, you know, they're getting good value for that spend. So that's why, you know, there's always plenty of questions being asked. Um, you know, growers want to make sure that they get a say and they want to make sure that that investment uh, that they're making is, is really spent well. But it's not, I guess... That was well answered, but and I was thinking of a different thing really, and I, I realised as you're answering it, Steve, that I asked the question poorly. So I'll go, I'll rephrase it then. Um, is there, <laughs> is there what I'm what I'm getting at? Is is there is there basically a, a, a big number that say nothing or something or what it's describing? It sounds like to me that most growers are happy to pay a levy. It's just a matter of the finer details of is it one percent, one and a half, two percent, you know, thereabouts. It's not like You've not like got, you know, it's not like the anti-vaxxers versus the vaxxers with the COVID debate, but you've got a very cl clear line between all or nothing. Um, there's there's much more um, support across the across the grower network for a levy. It's just a matter of how much. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's no doubt that growers, are, you know, support the the levy system being in place to to do all of that work for us. What they choose for that rate to be. Um, you know, is always going to be up for debate. And that's why we have this this process um, take place. So uh, it should be, you know, generally we get between 50 and up towards 60% of growers participate in it. Uh, we're definitely looking to encourage more growers, which all wool pulp uh, panels, you know, over the time, you know, it's always your, your number one ambition is try and get as many growers that are eligible to put their hand up and vote in this system. So it's, you know, everyone has the opportunity to have a say and that's all we want people to do is make sure that they take the time to do it. And what, what is it, like, <clears throat> you, you've been lucky to actually go outside and meet people in, in recent times. When, when you visit growers in, in WA, what's the general consensus? You know, are, are people sort of 
you know, generally happy or, or, or unhappy? You get any criticism about it or? Um, look, generally, I think there's a lot of positivity in the industry. There's a couple areas of concern at the moment and, and around shear training uh, and numbers of shearers is, is an, you know, something that's affecting a lot of people Australia-wide. And the COVID has definitely enhanced that, that issue. Um, because we haven't had, you know, like for WA, normally we get some shearers travel from eastern states across to shear in Western Australia, along with, you know, a lot of New Zealanders that travel across. Um, with with that closing, you know, international and, and state borders, WA has been restricted to, you know, just the growers we have on the ground here. So, you know, and, and that's no different. Eastern states are the same where, you know, we've seen a rise in shearing prices um, because of, you know, that lack of um, shearers available, you know. So there's a lot of competition in that space. Um, that's not a, a bad thing, um, but we've got to do some more work on shearer training, getting better retention. So that's probably one of the biggest issues that most growers are, are talking about. I'm heading down to um, down south of Borden. We're having a bit of a meeting about, you know, shearing um, tomorrow, actually, and... and uh, you know, that, that is the key topic that they're going to be talking about is how do we continue to get more shearers back into the industry in WA? So, and that's important. I actually did not a day of training, but I visited one of the training camps years ago down, it would be down near like Bridgetown. Yeah, uh, Rollington Park. Rollington Park, yeah, that's the one, yeah. Uh, years ago, 2014 or 15. Uh, no chance you get me doing it. My back would cut out you know within a, an hour but like good is, is another important point is that labor is an issue and, and that's something awi can assist with like so so if if the levy was dropped to zero then clearly awi is then closed at that point effectively because you've got no levy obviously if it went to 2.5 then you know they'd have plenty of money to to spend but what if it went to, well did you say it was a 0.5 or was one, it one, one. One's the lowest. Is it sustainable at a 1%? Uh, look, I probably won't, you know, talk about, you know, because because that's not my role to, to talk about the different levy rate options and what that means. But, uh, you know, we have made that clear in, in the voter information memorandum that's gone out to all the growers. So it actually shows we've put it in, in graphics about at 1%. This is what you'll get on all of these different areas. So whether it's marketing, shearer training, um, on-farm, off-farm, R&D, this, this is what you'll get for that sort of spend. At 1.5%, you'll get this. At 2%, you'll get this. And 2.5%, you'll get this. So growers can actually see what areas or indications of, of what spend you'll get for each of the levy rates. Yeah. So I guess I guess the main point with anything, any election is, uh, don't have an opinion if you're not going to vote. Like get out there and, and vote early and vote often. I guess. Yeah, well, particularly this year, you know, where there's been some delays. So West Australia, some of our voting papers uh, have been, or voter information kits have been a bit slow with Australia Post with the COVID being received over here so you know we're definitely encouraging growers to vote online because it is the easiest way to do it um your voter entitlements and your 
uh, grower number ID. You you just go to the www.wolpol um, and and access you know your votes. Um, vote online. It's it is dead simple, easy. Takes you know less than five minutes to do. If you have any queries, you just ring the link marketing one eight hundred number that's provided, and uh, they'll they'll help walk you through it. And they can so, do and they can do the voting for the directors as well. At the yeah, same so time, that, different process, different that, process, but you might as well is, do. It. Yeah, that's right. It is a different process, and and I suppose um, you know two separate but equally important items to uh, for growers to assess um, over the coming weeks. Some of that information, Steve, you outlined about the different levy amounts and what you're going to get for that spend. I presume all that information is on the website as well as what was probably sent out to the growers if they've, they've misplaced it or uh, haven't received it because of some reason in the Australia Post being slow or something, then they can get on there and, and look at all that information, I presume. Yeah, so that's all available on the Wolfile website. So growers can jump on there. Everything that they receive in their kits is on the website. So they can go through, have a look at that, and then vote online um, with all the information being presented to them. Well, I guess that's the thing. Like it's there isn't you can't again. We say it again. If you if you're not going to, uh, don't complain about it. If you're not going to to vote, you know we, we live in a democracy, and uh, and you have to have to get out there and vote on on both the levy and also who the directors are. I know that's not your area, Steve, but it is it is coming up. So no, that's. Look, I think it is interesting because it's it's one of those things. Is a contentious issue. I know. I haven't seen as much contention this time around, actually, as I'm seeing with the dairy one, because the dairy one doesn't give any downward options. I think only only upward options, which has caused a lot of consternation. Do Do you think just just one 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 last sort of point for me is like, do you think if things weren't going as well, like if 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 wool prices were, you know, where they were this time last year? and sheep prices were, were terrible do you think there'd be more people calling to say right geez you know an extra half percent in my pocket is probably better off do you think it's better timing at the moment to do it when people are a bit more you know not too phased about that extra half percent um yeah look i i don't know what most growers i i, I think when you look at the outlook for the wool industry, I, I can't see anything but positive. Um, obviously, COVID has, has caused some issues with, you know, people not buying as many suits, um, not being able to go out and have, you know, spend, you know, that disposable income where they go out and buy, you know, nice clothes, woolen, um, leisure wear. You know, people just haven't been able to go out in the last 18 months as often as, you know, as normal. So, you know, I think as we start coming out of COVID, we'll start to see that bit more of um, demand for the woolen products. And I think the sustainability, you know, people are, are definitely now uh, throughout the world looking for, you know, what impact product has, you know, on the environment. So, you know, wool is, is really well placed to, um, to continue to have an upward growth and I think definitely an upward price trajectory uh, over coming years. Well, that's probably a good positive place to. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Finish with a nice positive spin. Nice positive spin before I go and ruin it with some 
you know, depressing anecdote about sheep in the old country. Uh, and one one of the things I'd like to point out before we before we go is, uh, you know, Chris Hoiberg will probably enjoy this podcast because we haven't <laughs> actually we, we haven't we haven't we haven't gone on any any tangents, and yeah. I haven't spoken about Scotland once. That's true, and I mean, we'll be interested to see what Chris's views are on um, the Sixth Sense game we introduced to the podcast. Well, well, we tend to get most of our, you know, const- I'll say constructive, but constructive criticism from from Chris Hoiberg, and yep. so so hopefully he's got some more to to assist us with. Yeah, there you go. Right. I, I will I will say before we finish too, Andrew, that we we do have livestock leaders coming up with the pork industry, so be on the lookout for that. We might have a chance to get you into the Livestock Leaders Club uh, alongside Matt and myself. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm very, we might be able to make him, uh, <coughs> if it's a pork-related one, uh, Steve, we could have a special envoy as the Black Pudding representative. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Superfood. Uh, look, I, I guess one of the things, I, I just noticed that when I when I see Matt meeting up with people in the livestock industry, you know, sometimes he'll, he'll just give them a handshake, but then sometimes uh, I see... Special so, handshake, so, sometimes, special sometimes I see... Oh, that's that's a funny handshake he's just given that person. You know, that's yeah. you know, he's he's getting a bit light fingered there when he's doing his, you know, livestock leaders Masonic handshake there. Mm-hmm. So so I've never been in a club. I've never been accepted since since Cubs. Right. I was... Millie Millie will teach you the handshake when you, you come on board, mate. So there's yeah, the first, the first half of the day handshake practice. Um... Handshake and getting your special tie. You know? <laughs> you Right. Oh well. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Uh, we we did have a little bit of a technical glitch due to the uh, the the Western Australian weather. So hopefully this recording's worked. Uh, but thanks very much for for coming along, and uh, we'll see you when you get nothing on. Ah, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Cheers. Look, yeah, for now. yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Andrew, for having us on. Uh, really enjoyed it. I'll let you see go. Here. See you when you got nothing on.